0: So we're going to go ahead and and get started in the rest of uh, uh, James. This is James part two, not chapter two. We're actually going to be finishing chapter one, hopefully, this morning. So, uh, uh, how many of you guys enjoyed last last week in learning about James? And uh, I mean, it's I, I read I read about this stuff, and I'm amazed at at how God is so good to reveal His heart, His plan to us. It's it's amazing to me that like and we read it, and some stuff. Can be difficult, but most of the stuff when when God speaks to us is in a way that all of us can understand. I figure if I can understand it, anybody can understand it but last week we we kind of looked at and we didn 't look at too much actually, but we looked at that, uh who james was right he was he was jesus 's brother and and he lived and he was born with jesus and and uh grew up with them and and imagine he was much like siblings today they fought they wrestled they did all those kinds of things and and uh, you know who did it. Both pointing at each other. It was somebody else. I, I mean, it had to be the same, right? We're not any different than kids, kids back then, I don't imagine. And, uh, and they grew up together. As they were brothers. And then, some, then one day, he reveals himself to the world. Because Mary already knew who her son was. But he reveals himself to the world. He's the son of God. He's the Messiah. And James is like, no, I, I grew up with you. I knew who you were. That's not who you were. That's crazy. And he had a hard time. He didn't believe in his brother at first. But as we go through the scriptures and in time, we see that he began to believe in his brother. But not only did he begin to believe in his brother, he ends up being one of the pillars of the church, one of the decision makers in the early church. He is who helped shape and guide what the church would be even today. And as we learn about that, we're we're listening to him speak. He's probably an old man at this point, and we're listening to him speak, and, and we learn that this is somebody that we should probably pay attention to. He's someone whose who's advice we can heed because he's kind of got it figured out. He, he knows who his brother is. He knows who God is. And he begins to, to to lead us as we learn from him. And I, when we look at this stuff, we these aren't just the ramblings of crazy old men but these are the ramblings of one men who lived with Jesus they walked with Jesus they knew who he was they loved God and then they were inspired by the holy spirit to speak these words so i think when we listen to what they're saying we should we should heed what they're saying in our lives amen and then we took a look at you know what the the the, 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 the we talk about how he's worthy to listen to and how we should pay attention then he comes out and says the craziest thing the trials should be our joy and then we, I still, I read that, and I understand where he's coming from, but sometimes I'm like, did you even have any trials? Because I, I haven't had a trial that's been fun for me yet. But he says, consider them joy, because they, they, they build you up, they strengthen you, they make you stronger, and they're actually making us stronger Christians, and more effective, Amen. And then we learn to to ask God for wisdom, which seems like it's common sense, but the good news is is when we ask God for wisdom, not only does He give it to us, but He gives it to us without reproach. He doesn't think less of us. He actually probably thinks more of you if you took the time to ask Him what to do rather than just doing it your own way. Because we all know what happens when we decide to do it our own way. At least... I don't recall off the top of my head. We also learned that... uh, we can't be double-minded as well. And that's, I mean, that's an important thing that we are going to remember, that we need to remember as, as we walk in our, our Christian life, as we can't pick and choose. It's, it's, not like, it's, it's, it's not like a buffet where you can, like, I like this, I like that, but I'm going to pass on this. We have to take it as a whole, and we have to be solid, with what, not double-minded, and when we, when we say what we believe, we have to walk that out and not be wishy-washy. And the great news is, is that what we're putting our faith into is something that's worthy to be putting our faith into. We don't have to worry that, that if we put faith in this, we're going to somehow be let down. But we can put our full and whole trust in him. Now, that's the recap of the first eight or so chapters, nine chapters of, uh, eight chapters of James. And we're going to go ahead and get started now with the rest. James 1, 9 through 11 says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. In the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower fails, and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. You know, I believe that the whole purpose of this passage here is to instruct us to have a correct view of ourselves. You know, and, and then the reality is, is that is that we can sometimes look at ourselves and be uh, totally misinterpret who we are because we look at ourselves in, in the physical sense instead of seeing ourselves as how God sees us. You know, there was a time when, when uh, particularly in the in the faith based community, where it was it was the idea is, is you wanted to talk about how low you were and how you know we're as low as worms and we're you know would you try to you figured the lower you were, the more holy you were. But the truth is, is that's actually an inaccurate view of who you are in Christ. You see, the reason why that the lowly can boast in his exaltation is because the lowly has always thought wrongly of themselves. They think that they're worthless. They think that they're unloved. They think that they're weak, or that maybe they think that they're ugly, or that they have no value, or that they can't accomplish anything. And that's how they think about themselves. They think that they're unwanted, unloved. But the truth is is that they should boast in the reality that they are loved. They should boast in the reality that they are wanted. I mean, how do you know that you're wanted when, when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was willing to give his life up for you? You know you're wanted then. And they should rejoice in that. They're loved, they're valuable and their value is is to the tune of of Jesus' death on the cross. That's how you know how valuable something is, is what somebody's willing to pay for it. God was willing to give his very life for you. That's how valuable that you are to him. And you're not unwanted. And you're beautiful because you're uniquely created by God. And the truth is, God doesn't create junk. God doesn't create mess-ups. God created you. And he loved you, and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And the reality is, is that, the, that the, the lowly brother can boast because in Jesus Christ he can accomplish anything. You see, the problem with pride is not boasting in something. If you're boasting in, in what you can accomplish in Christ, you're good, you're good to go. Pride is when we, when we, when we boast in ourselves. You see, and that's, the, that's why the rich man is supposed to boast in his humiliation. It says, "In the rich in his humiliation. You're like, well, that doesn't make sense. Well, the reason that that makes sense, and it seems harsh, but the point here is that the rich man has kind of figured everything out for themselves. You know, the rich man is probably successful in business. They, they, they have easily created relationships with somebody. They, people look up to them, and they respect them, and they honor them, and, and they do all these things. And it's so easy for the rich man to have a wrong view of himself as well, Right? They, they, they look at themselves and think that, man, I've, I've accomplished all this stuff. I must, I must be hot stuff. I mean, I must have it figured out. And people lift them up and raise them up. But the, 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 they said the, the scriptures, no, boast in your humiliation. Realize that none of those things were you. None of those things were you. Those were God working inside of you. The, the success that we have is what God has accomplished in us and allowed us to do. In Jesus, we realize that none of that stuff really matters, but it's what he has done in us. The truth is, is that the rich man's looks, his great success, his his successful business, his awesome cars, all the people that love and respect him and adore him, none of that stuff is going to get them into heaven. None of that stuff is going to save them. None of that stuff can redeem them for God. Only Jesus Christ can. And Paul, I believe, is the perfect example of this. He says this in Philippians 3, 4 through 11. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. That's a pretty uh, strong boast to make. He says, I was blameless under the law. and may share his sufferings, being like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What he's saying is, is that my life, no matter how successful it was, no matter, I mean, that's a pretty strong boast to say that is according to law, blameless. He's saying that I, I, I did it all right. I mean, if the reality is, is that the law could save you, Paul would have been set. But he recognized that it did, and he gave all that up—everything that he had accomplished. And actually, we know that he did. He—he was—he was a high-ranking member in the the the, the 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 Jewish religion. He was respected. He was well trained. He knew everything. And he said he was blameless. I mean, he lived. Everything was going right for him. But he gave it all up for for persecution and, and imprisonment and all those things because he recognized that none of that was worth anything. He was the rich man that boasted in his humiliation. He gave everything up because what Christ did in him was more important than anything he could have done in himself. And the truth is, for the, for the rich man today, all that stuff is going to pass. All the stuff that you have, the cars, the money, the, the, the success, it's all going to eventually pass. says, so the sun rises with its scorching heat and it withers the grass and its flower fails and its beauty perishes All that stuff goes away. All that stuff in life corrodes and and, and corrupts and disappears, and none of that stuff will save you. You can't take it with you. And if your life is defined only by your pursuits and successes, then you'll fade away in the midst of them as well. But if your life is defined in Christ, then you live together in eternity, eternity with the glory that he's placed upon your head. This is why it's so hard for the rich man to get into heaven. Matthew nineteen twenty three 23-24, Jesus said this, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will the rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And to be clear, this doesn't mean only money. This means everything. Anytime you desire something else and place it before Jesus Christ, that gets in the way of, of, of you serving and living for him. And that can even be Christian stuff, you know, so we can get so wrapped up in our programs and all this stuff that we, we lose sight of what we're doing this for in the first place. The whole purpose of, of everything we do here at Living Old Family Church is to reach the lost, is to, to lift up the name of Jesus. Every program, everything that we do is so that he is glorified in our lives and we are strengthened in him. But we can, we can lose sight of that and get so focused on the stuff that it gets in the way. You know, it says it is only with difficulty the rich man will get in, but I thank God that if you place your faith in Jesus instead of yourself, then even the rich man can get in. Because what did Jesus say? With God, all things are possible. Amen? Amen. In James 1.12, it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Did you know that the enemy is going to come against you and try to make you fall away? try to make you back off, try to make you quit. He wants you to give up. More than anything, he wants you to give up. See, the reality is, is the devil can't beat you. The devil will never win. He is defeated. He is crushed. He is nothing. His only hope is to drag people down with him. But in Christ, we're victorious. But he wants you to get mad. He wants you to think that God doesn't care. Has anybody ever felt like stuff going on that God maybe doesn't care? I've heard people say that, you know, why would God do this to me? How could God let this happen? And they start getting mad at God instead of getting mad at the one who caused all this junk to happen in the first place. And then he wants you to think that God is powerless. He wants you to think that there's nothing God can do to save you. The truth is, he just wants your company for eternity. He can't get out. He can't win. There's no redemption for the devil. So he just wants to. to to bring, you know, your misery loves company. That's basically what's going on there. And this is what remaining steadfast is all about. It's about standing firm until the end, no matter what comes against you, no matter what presses against you. And this isn't about having a bad day. How many know that, that we have bad days and we make mistakes, we do stupid things? That's not what this is about. It's not about making a mistake. It's about living your life always looking forward, always getting back up. John two one John two one says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you, to say to you that I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The truth is is if we fail, if we sin, we stumble, we mess up, Jesus died to, to clear all that stuff up. Every sin that you've ever committed, and every sin that you will commit has been covered by the blood of Jesus. There is nothing that is not covered by what he did. But the truth is, is we have to stand strong. We have to remain steadfast. steadfast. Colossians 1, 22 through 23, it says, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Our standing before God is solid. We can be confident in it as long as we remain in the faith. As long as you remain trusting him. Like I said, it's not about making mistakes. But you can turn around and walk away. But as long as you remain steadfast in him, faithful along the whole way that you don't give up, no matter what comes against you, you will receive the crown of life. You will make it through the end. And the truth is, is it's not always easy. I know that for a fact. In my own life, we've had so much dumb come against us. And the enemy just wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal your life. He wants to bring you down with him. And it's not easy. Sometimes that's all you're thinking is, God, why is this happening to me? But the truth is, it's not God doing it. It's the enemy doing it. And he's trying to come. And Watch you to, God, remain steady. Keep trusting in me. You're going to get through this. Don't put your faith somewhere else. We see this so much. We've been discussing what's been going on lately uh, with with the body here and the, the people here and the church here. And, and we had that concert uh, a couple weeks ago. And I actually, I think God gave me a little revelation about what was such a big deal about that concert. Why? It rubbed the enemy so wrong. Because it seemed like from that day, stuff just started happening, stuff coming against us. Just that day... All the stuff that we had prepared for the lights and everything you didn't hear went all awry, and it took us forever to get that fixed, put us behind, causing all that stress. You know, and you're like, ah, are we going to be ready for that? That same very, the very same day, my wife gets in a car accident when she's supposed to be here helping get stuff set up. The very next day, Joseph comes down with the flu, and he misses, you miss work and miss church, and, and then Michelle gets sick, and then I haven't slept in two weeks. And the enemy just keeps coming in all these different ways. And I'm not the only one. I know people have been sick and stuff is coming up against people. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? And what do we do? We remain steadfast. We keep pressing on. And we keep pressing forward. And I said, I think I realize, I understand the reason why the enemy is so upset about what happened. And it's not so much about us in particular, but what that represented. Do you realize how unheard of it is for two churches to come together like we did on Saturday, particularly two churches with, with some serious differences and, and some doctrinal views. But we came together under one roof. We came together to worship God, to stand together. As I was praying this morning in the prayer meeting, God put this image of my head is of, of a chord. When you're playing music, when you make a chord, it's, it's different notes, completely different notes. And when you play them together, they come together in harmony. They make a beautiful sound. But they're completely different notes. They're not the same. They're com- I mean, they're, scientifically they're measured different. Everything about them is different. But when they're played together, they play a beautiful harmony. They come together in one sound. And I believe that's what the enemy is afraid of, is that we would come together as churches, completely separate notes, completely different, but together in one sound. But the truth is we're going to persevere. Things are tough. Things are hard. I don't know how God's going to do it, but I'm going to put my faith in him. He'll figure it out. I've been putting my faith in God for for many years now, and it's been working out for me. So I think I'm going to keep on doing that and trust him. And we'll press through. We'll get by. God will make a way. But we're going to remain steadfast, even under trial. We're not backing down. And this morning we declared, I declared as I was praying that the enemy has been defeated. No weapon that's formed against us shall prosper. And he needs to just get out. He doesn't have a right here. All of us in this room, have been—been our bodies have been bought with a price. They're not our own, and they're sure as heck not his. He needs to get away. And the Bible says that if we resist the the enemy, he must flee from us. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to resist. We're going to remain steadfast no matter how it gets. We're going to recognize that it's not God doing any of this stuff. We're not going to give God credit for something the enemy is doing. That's just ridiculous. But we're going to remain steadfast. Amen? In James 1.13-16, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers." the enemy is always going to try to tempt you and deceive you and try to make you think, like we said earlier, that God is doing something that he isn't. And there's a reality, and like he said, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. But don't for one second say that when I'm tempted, I'm being tempted by God. When you're going through these things, it's not God that's doing it. Now, to be clear, God will use these very things to help you grow, to strengthen you, to to help you become a a stronger Christian, a stronger father, a husband, or a wife, or a friend. God will use these things to to strengthen you and shape you into what he wants you to be. But don't think for a second that he's the one that sent it. He's not the one that sent you the temptation. He's not the one that sent you the trial. But that's the thing. The scripture says that that God will, will take everything and bring it together for those who who believe, who make it to good for those who believe and are called according to his purpose. And it's funny to me, I don't know why the devil keeps trying, because he keeps trying stupid things, and every time he, he does, God's like, yeah, we use that for the good. It's like, well, I'm going to do this horrible thing. Yeah, I'm going to make that for the good. You would think he would give up eventually. But the problem is, and the reason why he doesn't, is for every time someone remains steadfast, for every time someone remains firm, there's somebody else who gets pushed down and gives up. And that's what he's hoping, is that you'll give up. That you'll blame God. See, the truth is, is God doesn't tempt us. God is not using sin to entice you to try to somehow test you and make you stronger. God is not gunning for you to fail. God wants you to be successful. You're his son or his daughter, and he loves you more than anything. And God certainly doesn't make us in a way that would cause us to want to sin or do silly things. The truth is, is we're born broken because of what, what the, when Adam fell and what the enemy tried to, to rip us apart from God. He, we're born broken. We're born with, with wires crossed and stuff not working right, and we're enticed by sin, and we want to do those things. And the truth is if you've not been born again, you can't even live without sinning because you are a slave to that sin. One of the things that I see is, is people will, will argue that homosexuals' brains are different. That's why they have to do the things that they do. But you can say the same thing about kleptomaniacs. Their brains are actually wired differently, and they, they feel that they have to steal. In the same way with, with, with psychopaths that are mass murderers that feel that they have to murder. And I'm sure their brains are wired a little bit differently, but the truth is, is that I don't believe for a second that God made them that way. It's true, we're born in a fallen world, a broken world, and and some stuff isn't wired right. And that's where the love of Christ and his power within us can change us and and remake us the way that we're supposed to be in his image, living like he does. The truth is, is that there have actually been recent research that have looked into brain plasticity, and that's actually the ability for our brain to actually rewire our entire lives. You've probably heard it said that, you know, you're only born with so many brain cells and you can't grow anymore, but that's actually not true. We continue to, to regenerate brain cells our entire life, and the way our brain works can be rewired. If you don't think that's true, then uh, a simple test that you can do is, is you can actually buy glasses that will flip your vision upside down. If you wear those all the time, it'll only take a couple of days for your brain to rewire everything in your head so that the images are turned right side up again. When I first got these glasses, my left eye prescription is way worse than my right eye prescription. And uh, when I first got them, When I looked at something square, like if I were looking at my tablet, the left side would be about twice the height of the right side because the prescription was so different, and it magnified differently. And everything was a trapezoid. I was actually kind of freaking out. I was ready to just go without glasses because this wasn't right. But it took about two weeks, and now everything is square when I look at my glasses. Funny thing is if I take my glasses off, it's it's not square anymore. But when I'm on, (laughs) now it's opposite. The other side is bigger when I don't wear glasses. But my, my brain was able to fix itself and make me see correctly the truth is that's that's our, our brains are are amazing things that God has created that can they can do all kinds of of amazing things to repeat myself the truth is, is it's not the way our brains are made or all those things it's our own lusts that that carry that we get carried away with and the lust is just an intention emotion or desire in our body and the truth is we have many desires As we live our lives. We have a desire to eat. We have a desire to sleep. We have a desire to drink. To be sexual. To be happy or content. We have all these desires. And all of these are normal desires. Right? But if we allow them to grow out of control. That's when problems begin to get in the way. The desire to eat and drink is normal. But gluttony is a sin. The desire to rest is normal, but laziness is a sin. Sexual desires, whether they be homosexual or heterosexual, that desire has been built inside of us, but if it's directed the wrong way, we just have to deal with the temptation. The temptation in the wrong direction, doing things in the way God not intended, is, is the issue. Sexual desires are normal, but to act on them outside of the marriage, covenant is a sin. And the desire to be loved and content and happy is normal. But fulfilling that in any other way than Jesus leads to sin. And oftentimes in our lives, we we recognize that in Jesus Christ that we have been saved. We've been redeemed. And the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that we are a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, new things have come. We are made brand new. The old man is dead and gone. We're given a new spirit inside of us. But sometimes that old man rears his ugly head up again. And I know that happens in my life and you have to, you have to deal with that. You have to deal with that temptation or the enemy will bring up past things or the enemy will try to remind you of your failures and make you feel like that there's no way that God could love you. But if we let these things go unchecked, it can lead to sin. Instead, we need to reassert that in Christ, no, no, that's not who I, that's who I was. That's not who I am now. I am, brand, I am something else. The word enticed here, it says that a person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. That's a, a, a Greek word there that, that comes from the, the, the word deleazo. You have to Google it. I don't know how to say it. But it's a Greek word, and it means to bait, to catch a fish with bait, or to hunt with snares. You know, the enemy uses bait to catch us, to ensnare us, and the bait is different for different people. You know, typically, the enemy will use sexual stuff to bait men, but you don't see that with women quite as often, not that it's unheard of. Because men are tempted by different things than women. And some people are tempted by by alcohol. Some people are tempted by, by women or other men. Some people are tempted by drugs. The enemy will use whatever he knows your weakness is to try to pull you in, to try to pull you away from God. And we have to, to, to stand firm and stand against what the enemy is trying to do in our lives because God has accomplished something much greater than what the enemy is trying to do in you. And the scripture says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. You are victorious. We just have to remind ourselves of, of that sometimes. Because what happens is when these thoughts sneak into our head, when they when they become unchecked, they begin to conceive and they're carried out. The desires, sin is birth. I want you to know something. Did you know that being tempted is not sin? Being tempted is not sin. It's acting on those temptations. That's what it says is that, that the desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. The thought sneaking in your head is not sin it 's dwelling on that thought and fostering what it what it is and, is and what that leads to is when it runs into sin the The old saying is that you can 't stop a bird from landing on your head, but you can stop it from building a nest. We need to take great care that we 're not deceived as well because the enemy wants nothing more than to trick you might try to try to convince you, oh no, this is okay god 'll understand and it'll begin to trick you and deceive you. And, and we see that all the time. Even in the church today, there, there are many in the church that are deceived into to being more lax about a lot of things or just picking out different parts of the Bible because oh no, God's loving, He'll understand. And I thank God that He is loving and He is forgiving and He's very patient with us. But He still wants us to live the life that He's called us to live, to live in the victory that He has given us. And just because God is patient and loving doesn't mean that we should take advantage of of those characteristics of Him because He wants more for us. He wants more for you. We live in a fallen world and we're born broken and natural desires have been broken and twisted in our lives. We talked about all those desires. They're perfectly normal, but they've been twisted in us. But Christ came to make us whole. And as a result, we're able to take every thought captive and live from the reality that he's made us whole. Amen? In James 1.17, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Did you know that every gift that you receive from God is good? Every gift that you... Did you know sometimes it may not seem good? There's times that it may not you like, are you sure, God? Because if I was if I was leading the charge here, let fear. Actually, let me tell you how you should do it. Anybody ever done that? I've tried to tell God how to do stuff. Matter of fact, I was just had lunch with Josh yesterday. I was telling the story about how I kept telling God what I wouldn't do and how God changed 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 my mind. I, I once said that I'll never be a pastor. Never I would never be a pastor. God made me a pastor. And then I said, I would never, I would never have a home church. Let, I wouldn't even go to a home church, let alone have one. Guess what happened? So, I'm just saying right now to God that I'll never lead a church of 100,000 people in Hawaii. So, how I many you know God's probably smarter than that? I think I he think you knows he's up to my tricks. See, now you get, I don't even know where I was. Where was that? Oh, yeah. Every. Yeah, we're going to get there. I believe that God's, God's working in us right now. But every gift comes from God, is good, even if it doesn't seem good. And we may not understand it at the time, but God only has our well-being in mind. It's kind of like when we tell our kids they're not allowed to go play in the freeway. They're like, man, you guys' parents suck. They won't let me do anything fun. But, yeah. but uh, the reason we do those things is to keep them safe. It's not to take away their fun. It's to keep them alive and whole and well. Or it's like requiring them to be responsible and keep their room clean or do their chores. It doesn't seem like a good gift, but you're actually training them for life so that they'll be an effective member of society, that they'll grow up to to be the mighty men and women of God that they were called to be, even though it may not seem like such a great thing to them. I mean, shoot, you can to look at the popular... Remember Karate Kid? Wax on, wax off. He didn't think that was a good gift, but it turns out he was training him to be an, an amazing martial artist, right? Same thing. But the enemy doesn't give good gifts, even when sometimes they look like good gifts. You guys know what I'm saying by that? Let me give you an example. How many people have you seen that won the lottery whose lives are destroyed a couple years later? They get involved in drugs and prostitution and, and all these, alcoholism and, and par, all these things, and their life gets drunk, and, and when it's all said and done, they're worse off than when they started, when they, when they won millions of dollars. You see, gifts that come from the enemy, they may seem good, but they're not. Proverbs 10.22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. When you receive a gift from God, it's not gonna, you're not going to receive sorrow with it. Some of you guys are wondering, like, man, God wants me to prosper. How come I don't have tons of money? Probably because if you had tons of money, it would kill you. God's not going to give you something that's going to kill you. And that's why the scripture says, he who is faithful with little is faithful with much. If you want to have more in that area, if you want to have more money to do more good works, be faithful in little. And then you'll be faithful in much. And God will bless you, and God will honor you. One of the funniest stories that Dave Ramsey tells when he's going through his your financial peace university, his, his uh, uh, financial course, he talks about this couple and they, they had this car and Dave's, like, and Dave's big thing is you got to sell the car. If the car payments, you got to sell the car. So they have this car and he's counseling them and he says, you know what, you got to sell this car. You're paying like $500 a month. You don't have that. You have to sell this car. And they're like, but this car was a gift from God. It's like, what do you mean it was a gift from God? And he goes, even the loan officer said it was a miracle we got the loan. (laughs) That's not a gift. That's a gift from the enemy. Because a gift from God adds no sorrow to it. Amen? Amen. You see, God is never changing. And what he says always is. And it's good to know that we don't have to worry about him liking us today and tomorrow either. It says right here that, that every gift is from him, coming down from the Father of light, with whom there is no variation or shadow either. Isn't it good to know that God doesn't change? That we can read his scripture and we see his character and who he is, and he loves his people, he wants to bless them, he wants to take care of them, he wants to overcome their enemies for them. And that's the same for us today. And he's going to take care of us today just like he did everybody in the Old Testament. Nothing changes there. God loves us and he cares about us. Yeah, we're not going to get through this again. So, we'll end here on James 1.18. It says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. God was active in our creation. And it's his will that we are. You we weren't some accident. We weren't some uh, s- some cosmic joke that crawled up out of sea sludge and eventually turned into humans. God was active in our creation. You see, with everything else, God just spoke and it was. But with us, he actually got down on his hands and he got his hands dirty. He went into the dirt and he breathed life into us. We were special to God. God could have just spoken and we would be but we were something different to God. And he, he knelt down. And he was active in our creation. Because we were different. We're not like the animals that live. We're a first fruit of his creation. He, he breathed his very own breath inside of us to give us life. And it says we are a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Romans 8.29, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We're the first fruit of Jesus Christ and what, what he has done and accomplished in us. And like I said, when God created man, he cared. He was active in his creations, and it was something that was important to him. And then in his Son, He regave us that life. He recreated us in that same way that he first created us. Because when Adam fell, we were broken. We were different. We were separated from God. All that care that he took when he breathed his life into us, and we were one spirit, that was broken. But in Jesus, he restored that, what was lost to us. And he's once again breathed life into us through his son and made us brand new. And we are victorious, and we are whole, and we are perfect, and we are righteous in Him. So let's go ahead and, as we continue through this book and we we heed the words of James, let's, let's begin to people who recognize these things about ourselves. The lowly boast in their exaltation. The rich boast in their humility. But the reality is both of them are boasting in the same thing. And that's what Jesus Christ has accomplished in them. Amen. Let's, Let's be a people who live our lives from the reality of what Christ has done in us. Not working towards righteousness, but from righteousness. And let's be a people who recognize who God is and His love for us. Amen.